Open your Bible with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. 21 years ago, I sat in a field alongside thousands of college-age students under a cloud-filled sky in Tennessee. We were gathered there for a conference called One Day. And that afternoon, a 55-year-old man with wiry framed glasses and thinning gray hair, walked humbly and boldly onto the platform and pleaded with my generation of young people to live for something greater than a generic, run-of-the-mill, self-centered life. And with the wisdom of a father, he looked us straight in the eye and told us the only thing in this world that would satisfy us, deeply satisfy us, was a life lived for the glory of God, centered around knowing him and making him known. That man's name was John Piper, and I can still hear those words ringing in my ears some 20 years later. As he prayed for us, challenged us to come to know a few basic, glorious, majestic, unchanging things, and to be gripped by them, and to be willing to lay down our lives for them. That was the majority of the message. He mentioned these two courageous women from Bethlehem Baptist Church who had been serving God in Cameroon, and they had just recently died. And so their church was mourning the loss of these two ladies, near, nearly 80 years old, spending the final years of their life among a people not their own, so that Jesus might be known. They breathed their last on that foreign soil, serving God. When the church members heard of this death, they asked Piper, is this a tragedy? Is this a tragedy that these ladies died on the mission field? He said, oh no, that's a glory. That's a glory to die with your life burning bright to the end, serving God. And then he pulled out from his Bible this tattered page of a Reader's Digest magazine. Anyone still get Reader's Digest? Is that still around? My grandparents got Reader's Digest. So he pulled this tattered page from Reader's Digest out of his Bible, and this is what it said. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. And now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That, he said, is a tragedy. He didn't mean it was tragic to retire or to move to Florida or to collect shells. I've told Piper, like, our family loves to collect shells on the beach. (laughs) He's like, that's not what I meant. That's not what he meant. What he meant is that it's tragic to live and die chasing a dream with no purpose greater than our own comfort. His resounding message that day was, don't waste your life. At the time I heard that sermon, I was 20 years old. I had already believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I was in the middle of trying to lay hold of what following Jesus meant and what was the purpose of my life 
in light of what Christ had done for me in giving me so great a salvation. And God used that one day to make a deep impression on my life, on my dreams, on the orientation of my life. Because I wanted to live to the glory of God. And I realized that I needed to come to know a few basic, glorious, majestic, unchanging things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down my life for them. What I knew was that beating in my chest was a heart burning to know the glory of God. Over the next five weeks, we'll be exploring what it means for us as a church to have been sent together on mission. This is important, an important moment for us as a church family. Because before we make plans or we discuss building a church home, even before we discuss the work of fulfilling the Great Commission, I want us to pause and be gripped by the glory of God as the chief end of our life together. That's my simple goal this morning, to center our thinking and praying and our whole life together around the glory of God. Last week, we left off with Jesus and the 11 disciples. They were gathered on a mountaintop in Galilee. Jesus tells them to go and make disciples of all nations. But just before that final command is given, Matthew tells us, I think verse 17, that they were worshiping Jesus. They were at his feet, honoring the risen Christ. And, and I, I thought about that this week. That's where the Great Commission begins, with these 11 people gathered around Christ, worshiping him. And where does it all end? It all ends with the brightness and color of all peoples, all tongues and tribes and nations gathered around that same Christ in eternal worship. Our mission begins and ends with worship, the worship of the risen Christ. So our ultimate aim as disciples of Jesus, is that Christ would be glorified in and through our lives as we know and enjoy him. Our ultimate aim as a church is no different. It's no different. The Trails Church exists to glorify God. And this is where our mission begins and ends, for his glory. Before we explore this glorious mission given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28 over the next few weeks, I thought it would be helpful for us to join in a small prayer from the Apostle Paul recorded in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And from this passage, I'll give us three God-centered prayers for us to pray as a church. I'm not going to give them to you right now. But right now, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from God's holy and inerrant word. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. Amen. Would you please be seated? The first prayer that I want us to pray as we begin this sermon series entitled For the Mission is, Lord, let your glory be the passion of our church. Let your glory be the passion of our church. And as we circle in on this text, allow me a brief explanation of its context. Paul has just written about the glorious, mysterious salvation of God in electing and saving sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He wants us to understand that from first to last, salvation is of God. That No one gets an ounce of credit or glory in the salvation of humans. Only God. And then he explains how the power of the gospel has then united all who trust in Christ as one people called the church. And he says that's a mysterious thing. The unity, the supernatural unity that Christians know who have been born again to this living hope. And after three chapters of explaining the goodness of God in the gospel, he's about to turn the page, if you will, and the next few chapters talk about what life in the gospel look like. But before he does that, his heart explodes in worship to God. It's the exact same thing we see in the book of Romans. Chapter 11, 33 through 36. If you want to look at that one. This little passage that we're looking at is known as a doxology. A doxology is a short hymn of praise to God, like the doxology we love to sing so regularly. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Doxology is a compound word. Two words in the Greek. Doxa meaning glory and logos meaning word. So a doxology is a glory word. And the doxologies of Paul are some of my favorite passages in the New Testament. They are chock full of exhortation and meaning and help to us. And this one is no different. And what I mean to do is hold high before us from this passage, this phrase, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. Paul's prayer is that God would be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He anticipates it's going to be a while before he returns forever and ever. And I would submit to you that this is the chief end of the church, the chief end. That, that phrase might ring familiar in your ear. It comes from the Westminster Catechism, the series of questions and answers that are meant to help us understand doctrine. The Westminster Catechism teaches about God and man, sin and the Savior, the Scripture. But it all begins with this wonderful question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer provided is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. We ask that same question in modern parlance like this. What is the purpose of my life? 
Every person asks that question. What is the purpose of my life? And the answer is, if you're asking that question this morning, you better lean in. The reason that you were made, the reason God put the breath of life in your lungs is that you would glorify him forever. That's why God made you. Okay, so we've talked about Ephesians 3, verse 21. Keep Christ being glorified in the church. We talked about the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man being to glorify God. I just want to place those things side by side together. And as we do, ask ourselves, well, then what is the chief end of the church? And I think our answer is the chief end of the church is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you're here this morning. It's more than just meeting in a schoolroom cafeteria, singing very old songs, reading an even older book. No, we're here because the presence of God dwells among his people, and he is glorified in us meeting together. Our mission statement begins with these words, we exist to glorify God. And then before any activity is mentioned, before any marching orders are assigned, this north star is set in stone. This is the prayer behind every prayer. This is the chief end we all seek to. We want to glorify God. It's the ultimate reason why we've been saved by his amazing grace, then placed in his family together, and I pray it would be the burning passion of our church. Awareness of this. To love the glory of God. And where does this begin? How do, we, how do we love the glory of God? Well, this begins with our hearts beholding the glory of God. And being changed by it. By us asking him, show us your glory. Like Moses prayed. God, show us your glory. And then as he reveals himself, as he's done through the scripture. And we treasure him and obey him. And walk in response to him as we serve and grow as disciples and love. But let's not miss this. There is a God-centeredness to everything that we do. He is at the center of our life as Christians and our life as a church. So let that be true of us. For the Trail Church, I want this to be personal. This is where everything starts. Our hearts together set on glorifying God. Pray this with me. Lord, let your glory be the burning passion of our church. That leads to the second prayer I want us to pray. Let your glory be displayed in our church. Let your glory be displayed in our church. When we ask that we might be a display of God's glory, it gives amazing awareness to everything that we do. It gives every action purpose. This is a prayer that in our hearts and in our relationships, in our ministries, that we might display, magnify, reflect God's glory. And when we think about all that the church has been called to do, let us remember where the power to do anything comes from. The answer is in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work with in us. And so as we pray that God's glory would be the passion of our church, we see this doesn't mean that we have to grit our teeth 
or muster up enough strength from our own will to make any of this happen. The agency that empowers the mission of God is God. Oh, he is eternally committed to his own glory. And he's not left us in our own strength to try to glorify him. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that means all. All power. All authority is given to Christ Jesus. And then just watch this. In his authority... He sends his people in his name to do his work all for his glory. Where does the power come from? It comes from God, who gets all the glory in the mission of the church. And he loves to show off his glory through the weakness of his people. That's you and me. And in the church, we display his glory. I love this quote from John Calvin. He said, the whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power. But the church is the orchestra. All creation demonstrates these things, little reflections, refractions of God's glory. But the church is the orchestra in this theater In the local church, the people of God, the music of God's heart is heard so clearly. And I want to look you in the eye this morning and just let you know I regularly hear the melody of God's glory as I listen to your lives. I hear it all the time. His glory is displayed all over the place. How? Well, we display God's glory in how we stand together on the authority of God's word, under, in submission to God's word. We display his glory in how we love him, how we seek to grow as his disciples, his people, his sons and daughters, and how we fight sin and pursue holiness. His glory is displayed. We display his glory when we repent of sin. We display his glory when we love and care for one another. Like meal trains and phone calls and standing with one another through sin and suffering and sorrow. We display his glory when we serve one another. There are people right now who are missing church this morning so they can help disciple the next generation. Some of you arrived early this morning to help greet people in the name of Jesus when they arrived. Some of you showed up really early to help set up everything. Some of you give up Wednesday nights and Sunday nights of your family's life to invest in the students of our church. The church is a theater of God's glory. Praise God. That was our aim from the beginning. And that is where I pray that we end. Should he return or call us home? That God would be glorified in us. That his glory would be displayed. Okay, so Calvin said that that the church is like an orchestra. Jesus said that his people are like a flock of sheep. Paul says we're like the body of Christ. Metaphors are so helpful to us. I'll just throw one more coin in the treasure chest. The church is also like a beautiful mirror. Beautiful mirror. Not meant to display our glory, but the one 
whose image is reflected in us. We're a mirror reflecting the goodness and kindness and justice and mercy of God. We weren't made to display our own glory, but to reflect His as we depend on Christ and the presence of His Spirit at work in us. And as God looks at us, let us display a glorious picture of who He is. There was this statement that crept into the church in the early 2000s. It just irritated me from the first time I heard it. It went like this. The church is the hope of the world. And I understand what's trying to be said by that quote. That the church matters. That the church is valuable. And that's all true. Why? Because he bought us with his own blood. But nowhere does scripture say to put our hope in any church. Our hope is in Christ. And there's a danger that the reflection of some churches, that reflection seems to be themselves. And the mirror has become the thing rather than the God meant to be displayed in it. One evidence of this is when stories of how people's lives have been transformed when the thing given credit to transforming people's lives is a church instead of the savior of that church. There's evidence of this when you show up at a place and the name of the church is heard more than the name of Jesus. And so let us be warned even now in our youth, the youth of our church, I don't mean that all of you, some of you are very old. But let us be warned that the reason we exist is to display the glory of God, not our own glory. It's the name of Jesus that we worship, the name of Jesus that will endure the saints and angels song. The name of the Trails Church will come and go. And if we continue to make a savior of our local churches, we will continue to be idolaters. Don't look to this church to save you or to change your life. Look to Jesus. He's the one we want him to display. The final prayer I want us to echo from this passage is let your glory be proclaimed through our church. You'll notice Paul's words in these two verses. It's a prayer, but it's also a proclamation. He's writing to a church, the church in Ephesus, as he proclaims these things. And he's writing to you and me, proclaiming the worth of God as the only one Worthy to be praised. So how is God's glory proclaimed through the church? I want to highlight just two ways this morning. The first is this, through faithful proclamation of the gospel. This is the primary thing that he's called us to do, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We're called and commissioned to fully proclaim the crucified, dead, buried, risen again, and returning Christ both to this community and to anyone else who would listen. It's not a message of self-salvation empowered by God. It's a message of salvation through God. And so our message isn't one of plastic, flimsy, cultural Christianity, but biblical, faith-filled, Christ-centered, God-exalting Christianity. And there's a massive difference in those two things. My buddy J.T. English wrote a book, um, I think, last year. I read it, I don't know, a few months ago. 
And I was so helped by his clarification on this. This is what he writes. The message of cultural Christianity is that God is merely good to us. I want you to listen as we hear these things. You tell me what the tone of Christian conversation is like right now in America. I'll start again. The message of cultural Christianity is that God is merely good to us. The message of biblical Christianity is that God is good for us. The message of cultural Christianity is that we should seek God's goods. The message of biblical Christianity is that we should seek God's goodness. The message of cultural Christianity is to seek God so that he might provide for us. The message of biblical Christianity is that God is our provision. The message of cultural Christianity is we should seek God to get things. The message of biblical Christianity is that we should seek God to get the highest thing, namely himself. Those are two radically different expressions of the teaching of the Bible. And our flag is firmly planted in the second camp. And so I just want to say, if you have not yet believed in the good news of Jesus Christ, it could be you've heard a watered down, shallow, hollow, unsatisfying message that's basically self-help by a different name. And so I want you to hear clearly the message of the gospel this morning. There is a glorious God who reigns forever. He is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. And out of his goodness and glory, he created all things, trees and butterflies and mountains and oceans. And at the crown of creation, he made mankind. Why? To display his glory. Long ago in a garden far away, our first parents decided to glorify themselves rather than to love the glory of God. They chose self-worship, self-trust over God-worship and God-trust. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, all creation has been stained. Romans says that all creation, we're now groaning out for the deliverance of our souls. But God, out of great love for us and ultimately for his great glory, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live and die in our place so that we who had glorified ourselves leading to death could now bring glory to Christ in him bringing us to life. And there is only one way to salvation and it is not through ourselves, it is through a man and his name is Jesus Christ. And so our whole church would call you to believe on him as your savior, to repent of your sin of committing the same sin that we've all committed, glorifying ourselves instead of him, and to join us on this great mission of now bringing glory to God with our obedience and with our life. So that is the gospel. And that is the message that we will continue to proclaim until Christ returns. The second way that we proclaim the glory of God is through our love for one another. Did that come out of left field? Francis Shaver called that irritating. He actually, um, uh, Shaver called this the final apologetic. So after a person looks through the Bible, looks at the testimony of creation, 
that a person should be able to look to the life of God's church as the final apologetic that God is real. That's exactly what the Apostle John writes. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Two, two ways that we together, as a local church, proclaim the glory of God. One, through faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, by proclaiming him with our love, with our lives, invested sacrificially, joyfully for one another. So we don't have time to flesh all that out today. We've got 30 years to do that. Um, And even over the next five weeks, we'll be fleshing those things out just a little more. But for now, understand that we exist for the glory of God. Realize that we have been called to display and reflect his goodness, and we have a message to proclaim. And God has planted us in this community so that we might faithfully proclaim Christ. This is the field that God has called us to work. So let us prayerfully, dependently proclaim the glory of God both in our words and with our lives. I'm going to land the plane now. I just want to say to you, Trails Church, how much I love you. I'm so thankful to be a part of this family. And I believe God has so much good in store for us. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's reflect his goodness and glory together. Let's come to know a few basic Glorious, majestic, unchanging things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down our life for them. And let's pray for his help. Would you pray with me now? Lord, let your glory be the passion of our church. Lord, let your glory be displayed in our church. And let your glory be proclaimed through our church as we dependently follow you as your disciples. Let your supernatural grace work in and through us to accomplish all of these things and much more. To the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.